I miss that dress? But I Boom. do think I d- top selling <laughs> bridal. Welcome to Surviving Society with Chantel and Tiso. This season's broad theme is reconfiguring whiteness. Welcome to another episode of Surviving Society's Alternative to Women's Hour. I'm really excited to be doing this Alternative to Women's Hour because we're going to be talking about a subject which is very close to my heart and my own lived experience. And I get to do it alongside of one of my good mm-hmm. academic friends, Dr. Jenny. <laughs> Can I say Dr. Jenny Thatcher? Yeah, no, sorry, we just right. had a debate about your last name, Jenny, and the histories of that, which maybe we'll go into detail a bit more today. Yeah. But yeah, so thank you so much for joining us, Jenny. Pleasure to be invited. Thank of you very much course. for asking me. I'm going to begin by reading out mm-hmm. the abstract of one of the things we're going to be talking about today, which is okay. sort of like... Essentially, like your a lot of your academic work is based on this stuff, isn't it? Particularly around class, um, beauty salons, and wedding dress shops as well. I guess my post PhD work yeah. is mainly based around this, yeah. but also my inspiration into going into sociology, yeah, came from this has as well. come from this, oh, brilliant. and I think that's something that we can talk about. Definitely. Okay, so I'm going to read it out. What does it feel like to be a working class woman employed in industries in which their role is to cater for the aesthetic tastes of middle or upper class women? What symbolically violent actions may occur in these spaces, not only from a service sector position, but one that disvalues their own tastes? Reflecting back on experiences of working in beauty salons and boutiques in wealthy areas of London, where I often performed treatments and sold clothes that cost more than a month's wage, I argue that expressions of aesthetic preference Preferences is often defined in opposition to those of others and embedded within class antagonism. Culturally sanctioned aesthetic ideas are enacted through judgments of taste as entwined with post-feminist feminine cultural constructions and class aspirations. The highly feminised space of the salons and the boutiques I worked in cemented the ideal that consumption practices were to be in line with an ideal white middle-class femininity in pursuit of respectability and tastefulness and to do otherwise could lead to humiliation. Yep. Boom. Okay. <laughs> So, so powerful and like so much of that paragraph encapsulates what it is like working in hair and beauty salons in particular, I would say. Yeah, And shops. And shops, no, 100%. Sorry, I was just using my own perspective Mm. there. And shop, clothes shops, Mm. I can imagine. Mm. So, yeah, so I guess one of my first questions would be like, why this subject? What was it about this subject that you thought was sociologically interesting? Okay, that's really interesting because it wasn't actually my choice of subject for my PhD. That was something very different. Yes. But obviously, before I started a PhD, I worked several years as a beauty therapist. So as a working class woman Mm. in affluent areas of London, Mm. performing treatments, again, as I said, would cost more than a month's wages, perhaps. These salons were 10 minutes away, travelling distance from the areas I was inhabiting. Mm. And that's what kind of pushed me into going into sociology. And this is kind of a question that I ask people, like particularly people that are coming to sociology later on in life, Mm -hmm. what made you choose sociology? Why sociology? You know, obviously, 
selling a, a facial cream that costs more than a month's wages mm-hmm. <laughs> was a big incentive to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was only, I think, after I met you, Jenny, and mm. we spoke about our experiences working in these places mm. that I realised that there was something very sociologically interesting about this, particularly with our own habitus and working class credentials at the time and we were working in these places as well. And I just, again, it wasn't until I spoke to you about the work that you had done that I was like shit I've got some stories I've got some stories that are so embedded in that humiliate that class antagonism and Mm -hmm. that humiliation that you refer to in that abstract yeah um and it just really I don't know how to word it but basically what you're talking about is living in an area being in such Mm -hmm. close proximity to wealth yeah living in a way which is very much socioeconomically alien alien to those people as well like how do we exist, survive and thrive in those places that are also so f- close to our homes? Like, I know that sounded a bit like sort of gibberishy there, but because it is no, very completely. muddled. It's completely. Um, and I'm just thinking, like, I completely agree with you. It is really, it is really alien. At least I was able to mm. kind of go into those spaces. Mm-hmm. And we get in, We could get into a whole other mm-hmm. argument, and I think we won't get into that today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but basically about gentrification mm-hmm. or super gentrification or displace, uh, displacement mm-hmm. and basically how people might not be able to even engage in those areas. No, I totally agree. And I think that is definitely something to sort of caveat with our conversation. But, e- but equally, Jenny, like being able Mm -hmm. to be in those shops essentially doesn't necessarily afford you loads of privileges exactly exactly it's just because you're in a space where creams cost 500 pounds it doesn't mean that you are experiencing exactly what is equal to that 500 pounds if that makes sense so so can you do hair and beauty no so it's just beauty yeah yeah, yeah, it did take two years yeah of course (laughs) So I did. So I was. I I can cut hair, but I was never trained. But I was trained Aww. in hair up. Yeah. So I did a lot of like. I did. I did wedding hair and like prom hair and that sort of thing. Uh-huh. I could do that. But ultimately, yeah. I was like a Saturday girl. Mm. A barbershop and then mm. in a women's hair salon as well. No, so my my stuff was proper beauty salon yeah. work. So I was trained in all the beauty therapy, yeah, yeah, yeah. the facials, the mm. waxing, the pedicures, the manicures. And I was a working class girl mm. from a working class area mm. going into these very middle class areas, mm. performing these aesthetic treatments on these very you know i guess middle class people mm. um or upper class people oh, i would very say because we're talking islington here aren't we islington and High- highgate kind of highgate hampstead yeah. camden so all around those so i i guess that is something very london centric i don't know how it works I so know, i i know because i think i don't know well, i wouldn't necessarily use the word london centric because i think those people with that amount of wealth can be found in other parts of, of the course, uk yeah, yeah. Uh, what, I, what i was actually more drawn to was how so my experience working in yeah hair and beauty was based in my hometown in bromsgrove so in the west mm-hmm. midlands so i worked in various salons there and barbershops and i was was with and looking after middle class yeah, white yeah, people yeah, um yeah. whereas i think you were, were you were with middle to upper class mm. white people as well which i think i only found out about that demographic when i went to university like do you know what i mean like that is a whole other ball that is a whole other ball game like that must have been at times very difficult 
Yeah, it was. And it was it was actually something that kind of propelled me, I guess, into studying sociology yeah. in a way that, you know, I was working in these areas performing mm-hmm. treatments that, or selling creams, as mm. you said, that maybe cost, or treatments, that cost more than a month in a wage for me. Um, and it was very symbolically violent. Mm. And I guess what I, I got from those interactions is not only kind of a service level mm. um, interaction, but also a class symbolic yeah violence interaction as well in terms of aesthetic tastes Mm -hmm. so and I can speak about in terms of I mean the classic example and I'm going to go on to this in a minute because I think this will will be very interesting but um makeup Mm mm-hmm Makeup, and that's the ultimate aesthetic preference, right? So people would come into the salon in Highgate and expect a specific type of makeup look mm. for a wedding, mm. for example. Mm. But you would have working class women doing that, mm. and we could be technically trained to do that. Okay, but there's a there's an aesthetic yeah. type of preference. Yes. Yeah. And we can do our best in in servicing them, but it didn't always end up with what they were happy with. And do you think that that do you think that is because? So I I get what you're saying. I, I feel like we might need to be more transparent with yeah. what we're saying to our listeners. So I associate or my habitus, particularly when I'm learning how to do makeup, particularly looking at my nan, my mum, my aunt, and whatever, all very working class women is a particular type of eyeliner, a particular sort of lipstick, yeah, a particular exactly. foundation. One where we... And, and I think it refers to jewellery as well. Like, oh, in my family, absolutely. like, you wear your wealth and you wear your uh-huh. beauty. Yeah. So makeup and hair um, and jewellery are very essential to how we express ourselves. Now, what I want to ask you is, what you're referring to with some of these women that wanted to get their makeup done for weddings is do you think that because of recognising they've when they're interacting with you before you've even done their makeup, they're recognising that you have this habitus, you have these working class credentials through mm. how you are presenting that they were always going to say this isn't what I want or do you think it is that you would do a particular type of makeup that wasn't correct for them so yeah exactly so they were coming into areas where they would expect a specific type of treatment and um yeah so if you're coming into Highgate or Hampstead you would expect that Mm. they would know the aesthetic preferences Mm -hmm of your choice Mm -hmm. and there could have been potluck they could have got a beauty therapist that was privately educated and we Mm. did have those working in the salon you know and they would have known but also they might not have got that yeah and so it's those kind of I guess symbolic yeah interaction yeah and so so would would that would an example of how that unravels be that you've done their makeup and they've said I don't like it like this well, this yeah. is the type of thing that exactly. I go for. Exactly. And do you feel like it was it was based on the actual makeup that you had done or or them making a judgment about you doing the makeup? 
So I, in particular, I never had an example of that mm. in terms of my makeup. I, w- I was okay with, mm. with mm. the makeup example, but I saw where perhaps people... Colleagues, yeah. Colleagues had that example. Mm. But I can just say in general of interactions of just general treatments, mm. beta therapy treatments, waxing facials, where those kind of symbolic, violent mm. interactions came in place mm. Mm. where they felt more entitled I guess yes to say I'm not happy with this yes and you know that you've performed a very good treatment yeah I think actually do you know what I think it'd be really good if we could just break down before I just tease out a bit more about that sort of situation is what do we mean as sociologists when we say symbolic violence What do we mean by that? How can we find a way to sort of express that? I know, Jenny's putting a face at me. Okay, it's symbolic violence. It's bourgeois, isn't it? Yeah. So it's like when I'm saying something, I'm saying something to you which directly is um, either critiquing, calling out something that is intertwined within your both class and race or class credentials. Okay. Or gender, so it could be gendered as well. I'm, I'm going to go really back now. Go on. I, I might get this really wrong. No, go but on. I'm going to go back to, so Derek Robbins was my supervisor. And when he told me, Derek. when he, yeah, good, big up Derek. When um. he taught me about Porter, he taught me about symbolic, um, violence and yeah. he went back to Bourget when he did the work in Algeria yeah. and this was all about decolonialising yeah. and what he told me was it was basically about when you kind of um, a dominant class in positions their opinions of what is Yes, respectable. Respectable, or what is right, or what is what is acceptable, mm. I guess, mm. or what is approved. Mm. Oh, that's such a better description than my description. That's brilliant. I don't know. No, if that's, that it. Is. I that's don't it. That's it. No, that's really good. I think that's a great, like, intro- definitely a great introduction to it. And us giving the examples of the beauty therapies, like, that's it playing out definitely. And it's also in how they will interact with people differently who they feel haven't necessarily satisfied those um cultures and norms that you are effectively saying they critique does that make sense yeah so it's like so if you're if if you're presented as someone that is possibly from a middle class background treat you're in this beauty beauty therapy environment and the client is saying that you've done something wrong perhaps they will treat them a little bit differently to yeah, and I guess I think, like, I really want to bring in my experience of working in a bridal shop right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so maybe I can talk a little bit about yeah, yeah, that, yeah, if do, that's do, all right. Of so basically, when I submitted my PhD, I couldn't get a job in academia. No one wanted me. Cry, cry. And (laughs) so what I did was like, oh, right, I've got to get back to what I know best. And that is beauty salons. And I didn't want anyone to let me loose on their bikini line. So (laughs) I I emailed all the salons in my local area. And I said, look, you know, I've got all these experiences. I'm also a doctor. Um, (laughs) 
well, we're going to get into that, okay, Chantel. So I was like, you know, <laughs> so I've got all this experience. Um, I can do some reception work for you. And I sent out my CVs to a load of places. Then someone hit me up and they were like, okay, yes, we got your, we got your CV in our, our salon. But mm. actually we own a bridal boutique. <laughs> mm. Can you come? We desperately need someone right now. Can you come and sell wedding dresses? And I was like, what on earth do I know about selling wedding dresses? Jenny, you could sell anything. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. So I went and met them and, you know, and they said, look, oh, you know, we got your we got your CV because mm. you sent it to our beauty salon, but we've got a wedding dress shop mm. and we need someone to sell wedding dresses right now. Mm-hmm. You can do it. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll do it. First I thought, oh obviously they've asked me because I've got this experience on my C V of working in beauty salons. Mm-hmm. Uh uh-uh, uh no. It was the doctorate. It was the fact that I had a PhD on my C V. How do you know? Did I tell you that? No, because when I started, every single person that I was working with was a postgraduate student oh. at one elite university. Oh, okay. So yep. they were picking people that were... Yeah, that had that no had, experience. That, okay, that had... That had Absolutely class, no experience. class credentials. That had class. And I know... Cultural And, and I'll tell you how I know this, because we were desperately looking for someone else when I was working there, and someone had come in, and they'd had four years' experience in a bridal shop didn't get it they didn't get it a postgraduate student at an elite London university got the job with no experience at all so are these like I don't know that's making me think a little bit about aesthetic capital aesthetic capital and the way work is changing is that what's happened like is that what's happening across the board do you think like do you think that is what's happening in beauty salons as well like because for me like working in these places you, I, I did aspire to leave. I always did aspire to leave, but most of the people that I worked with were not. No, I know. I know what you're saying. And this is what I'm going back to. So, like, we were having an earlier conversation mm. about the makeup mm. and about the class aesthetics. Mm-hmm. And I think this basically kind of cements what yeah. is happening. When you work in these areas... You are expected to have this specific type of class. Yeah, and I, I know it. I know this it might hedge, be a little bit of a reach, yeah. but I just feel like I feel like this could maybe speak to what is happening in the world of work now. Even oh, absolutely. so, it's like where we have there's less because there's less secure jobs, mm. less full time work, mm. more zero hour contracts. Mm-hmm. If even the people with the in quotations elite yeah. qualifications can't be getting those it means they're going to be coming they're going to be working in these places more which means what happens to the people that don't have those qualifications i know it might be a slight reach no but but that's very interesting exactly and this is something i speak about so i've um so i've written a a recent paper yeah um a wedding book but basically I talk about it being the elephant in the room mm. and the kind of the fact that we are paid minimum wage yes but we're expected to inhabit these spaces where we're selling dresses for four thousand pounds which are more than way more than month's wages mm-hmm. you know but expected to have 
these cultural aesthetic and the kind cultural of understanding. Is, yeah, yeah. But what what holds more value in that space is the fact that you have a doctorate, not that you have not yeah, not that exactly. whether you would have experience no. with working or selling dresses. Yeah. Which does make me yeah, it's concerning yeah. about the future of work, I guess. I um, I think it really I think it really is. And what's really interesting is when so when I when I took up the position, I actually broke the sales record oh, in, in the Come um, on, if you've had Je- if you've worked with Jenny before, you know <laughs> Jenny is the real deal when it comes to work. You are no, but I did. I broke the sales record. I broke. A, I broken a few sales oh records. Oh my god! So lot, you must have sold the... thousands of pounds. Yeah. So now, so now we're talking. I was working on minimum wage. Right? Did they ever give you any bonuses or anything? Yes. Oh, okay. Good. And that's why I broke the sales records. Good. Because. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> <Wait>, come on! <laughs> she needs to live Of course. Come on! Come I was on working on minimum yeah. wages. I was working on minimum wages, yeah. and I'm selling dresses. For four thousand pounds a time. Yeah. This isn't bridal boutique, right? Yeah. Um, and I get two percent commission. That's eighty percent. So two thousand that's eighty that's eighty pounds. Okay, so they gave, they sorted you out, they sorted the proletariat out with a bit of bonus, even though you'd made them probably yeah. like yeah. quadruple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um So tell us a bit about these bridal shops what it was like what it was like selling to the client like were the clients people that had come outside of London or was it people that were living within the area like who was the clientele well the clientele so and I guess this also goes back to the beauty salons I worked in the clientele were local Mm. and each shop that I'd worked in so I've worked in throughout my career apart from being a sociologist I've worked in various boutiques and salons but always catered to the local mm. people and these were always in the affluent areas of mm. London. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, so again within the, the bridal boutique that I'd I'd worked in in particular, it was catering to a specific type of clientele and I, I speak about this in the article. So the the dresses ranged from one thousand up to four thousand before editing mm. or adjustments. And before yeah, before. How much yeah. does edit, how much does adjustments usually cost? Oh, I don't know. It. I, I guess it depends what you want, Chantal. Really? <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, I mean, like the 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 upper range was four thousand for wow. a dress or more, mm. um, and that's just a dress. Right? And these would be designer ones as well. These are. These are designer ones. So you would be looking at like six months. So you'd you would come in. We wouldn't take anyone that had a wedding less than six months. And also you had to book your appointments in advance. We wouldn't take walkouts no. from the streets. You would have to pay for your appointment. Yes. So you have to pay for your appointment. And they get champagne? Yes. And that would be deducted. So your payment for the appointment would be deducted from if you bought the dress or not. Oh, okay. So if you didn't buy a dress you still gotta just pay anyway. Yes. And so it's more that so you're sort of paying for an experience, is that right? Or no. you're paying to be in the shop or you pay <laughs> No, it's not even an experience. I you know what I would argue. <laughs> That you are paying just to prove that you are able to get one in there. of them. <gasps> okay, okay. You're, you're not going to waste our time. Did you have to wear heels to work? 
Well, this was my ideal job because I didn't have to wear any shoes because the dresses were so expensive. Oh. We had to walk bare feet. <laughs> so you didn't wear socks? <laughs> you, were, you were bare feet all the time? Yeah, that's my ideal job. That is yeah. mad. I, do, you wear so- do you wear slippers? No. <laughs> no. Barefoot? Just, just barefoot. What if yeah. you've got mean feet? Well, you had to wear a tie. <laughs> Do you have to wear, t- oh, do you wear like pop socks? <laughs> oh, okay. Could they see your toenails? So you got to have your toenails done then all the time. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Because no, dress- the effort. No, but because the like, dressing was so expensive yeah. and they would drag along the floor. Yeah. And we didn't also didn't want people wearing shoes because yeah. they would make the floor dirty and the, the grounds were like thousands of pounds. Yeah. My experience mm. of serving mm. people within this shop, mm-hmm. because what I think it showed is... Our boutique was in London, and it was in a very highly affluent area of London. We were obviously catering to specific type of class, people who could afford expensive wedding dresses. But within that category, you had diversity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you had distinctions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what was very really interesting. So... When I wrote this article for this um, recent book, what I'd done is, and I'm thinking, and I think this is really interesting because I, I really want to talk about this, is I'd gone to this job post-PhD. I just submitted my PhD. Where did you submit your PhD again, sorry? East London. East London, whoop, right. Whoop. So University of East London. Yeah. I just submitted my PhD. Couldn't get a job. Emailed all the beauty salons. Got a job in a, in a bridal shop. Yeah. A bridal shop coincidence and um my main I was I was on minimum wage and my my main um issue was to sell wedding dresses mm. and I needed the commission and oh, so, so you got commission per wedding dress yes oh nice so if you've got if you've got a dress four thousand uh, four thousand pounds and you've got two percent commission on that and you're on minimum wage you can imagine. Yeah, babe, that's brilliant. And also that's really interesting. And it's quite nice that that... Do you know if they're still doing that commission there? I anyway, would think I would, so. I really hope they are. No, because the commissioning <laughs> has been... It's been taken out of the service sector massively. Oh, really? like, so my mum used to work in perfumery no. and you don't get commission in perfumery now. I always... Whenever I go to the counters in Debenham, John Lewis or whatever, mm. I always ask them, it's like, do you get the commission? Not hardly any of them get commission anymore. I think <gasps> I think Fenty might get it, you know. Yeah. Big up Brianna, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. But I always ask them, That's do you get commission? And they don't we even survive. You know, in the high, do you know in the high-end fashion shops as well, as in like we won't name any brands, but like everyone knows top dollar, they used to get commission as yeah, well, yeah. like 80s, 90s, whatever. Don't get commission anymore. In beauty salons, I I survived on commission. No, they've 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 pulled it back because basically one of the things that's happened, and we could talk about this a bit later, sorry to interrupt you but it is quite interesting one of the things that's happened is the cost of hair as in the cost to get your hair done and the cost to have um, your Mm. face done has not gone up with inflation people want to spend basically people want to spend less on that stuff oh yeah even the higher end than they did before so basically the cost so the cost of their products the wholesale cost of hair products like shampoo conditioner whatever like hair color that Mm. salons will buy in bulk has all gone up in price but the price they've been able to charge the clients has not gone up. It's actually gone down. 
So it means that they've been cutting costs. So you'll see a lot more people that are like renting chairs in salons because they can't yes. afford to pay the staff yeah. um, full salaries. Yeah, yeah. Um, you'll see a lot more. You'll see a lot more people not getting paid commission. You'll see a lot less people that are sort of like directors within beauty salons, which believe it or not, you do have those hair directors, beauty directors. You see a lot less of that because the money hasn't fallen in line with inflation the cost of the products yeah it's, and that's I, true. Quite... I think that is the whole other area of like the future of work yeah it's, how it's how yeah. do we like sorry that's just gone off as someone who worked in the beauty salon for years how do we maintain that mm. like mm. that's really distressing as someone who's a beauty therapist for, yeah for many many years that's really because I survived on tips I always and so I always tip my hairdressers like I obviously have a black mm. hairdresser but I always tip them because I know that that money that I'm paying for my hair isn't actually it's not covering the rent it's not co- it's not it's not covering the rent it's not covering the hair products no. because it's all gone up in price but the, <gasps> what they can charge and you've got these things these apps like treat well you've basically got like a a zero hour sort of Uber Eats type That's thing that horrific. is eating the hair and beauty industry, and like it is a bit of an ele- it is a bit of an elephant in the room for these people, Gosh, of course. Yeah. Like it is, it's really sad. I don't know how they're going to ev- like evolve. I don't know what how capitalism is going to be able to facilitate these places. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a. I mean, we can look at. I mean, we just look at recently, like this whole other conversation. But Thomas Cook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, of Peter course. Express. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we can go into many, many, many um, retail stores right now. But it's a, but but what I find really interesting is we were paying, and this is like my my family, like me, grow up, my friends, like working class, the area that we grew up in. We were paying what now does feel like top dollar for our hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We always did like yeah. hair, hair, getting our hair coloured, cut yeah. and whatever, cut, colour and finish. Right back in Bromsgrove when I was like early noughties yeah. and whatever, yeah. over a hundred pounds. Yeah, but that was what you paid to get your yeah, hair done, yeah. and that didn't meet that didn't that didn't make us wealthy or anything. But that's no, what no, we no, always no, put no. aside. Like we yeah. always put aside money to have our hair done yeah. and get our hair coloured, but. That price has had to come down because, really? yeah, and like mm. I, I only know from like lived experience of this. I haven't done the like proper no. sociological analysis, but it is scary. Sorry, I just got into massive rant because it got me really no, excited. No, no, you talking no, no. about um, commission, yeah, because you just don't hear about commission as much anymore. Um, it's it's really interesting. Like I would love to go back into an actual salon mm. and find out, particularly in the areas that I worked in, what actually is happening there. And they're because working I more d- as well. The hours have gone up I seven days so. a week now. I in most look salons. at I look at the salons that I used to work at, and their hours they now have evenings up till nine o'clock oh, yeah. at night, yeah. which we never, never had when I worked. I went home at six. So even when they did, <laughs> even when they did late nights in yeah. my old salons, it was that they started work at ten or eleven mm. and finished at nine. No. But now you've got nine till nine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and also seven days a week. Exactly. Now Sundays and things. It's re- it's it's a really interesting thing. Because Monday used to be the the day off for well in the Midlands anyway. Monday was the day when hair salons were yeah, really we, open. Yeah, we were closed Monday. Yeah. yeah. 
So it is really interesting to think about what's happening and how like the shift in the economy and and stuff is affecting that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in terms of like, and I mean, we're only talking a f- couple of years ago, not that far. Basically, when I was selling wedding dresses, we were still on commission. Mm. So that was a big part of selling wedding dresses. What year are we talking about here? We're talking about 2015. It's not that long ago. It's not that long ago. So what had happened, so bearing in mind that I was on minimum wage, so what had happened is I decided, well, not decided, sorry, I'd worked out that, oh, okay, right, I'm on this minimum wage and um, I'd kind of mm. looked mm. and seen that there was a pattern mm. Mm. of, even though it was a very middle class type mm. bridal boutique, mm. and we had people spending between one thousand and four thousand, there were still variations, and I could see a pattern between them Mm -hmm. and what dresses they were buying. Mm -hmm. So I started, in order to make commission, this sounds so horrific, bearing in mind I was on minimum wage right at this point and academia wouldn't employ me. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, oh, okay, I know how to sell dresses. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I was like, okay, right. So so what happened, they would come in and they would um, basically uh, fill out a form, They'd put the age occupation. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! So you could yeah. get, so you could work out how much money they had. Yeah, they would even put they would even put their budget. They would put the location of their wedding. Corporate lawyers. And they would put like Italy. their style. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. South of France was a very big thing. We even had South of France on the. Um, the actual um, mm. uh, form, and they would circle it. I was like, why do they have South of France? This is why I'm working class and not middle class. <laughs> it was a thing. And um, so, yeah, so then what would happen? They would have six tags, and they would go around, and they, they'd they come with their bridesmaids and whatever, and they would go around tagging the dresses that they want, and they would get to try on six dresses within an hour. And so I use that is a lot of dresses in one hour. It is, yeah. I take I because take you ages know, to get changed. You yeah. know, because yeah. you're shopping for wedding dresses yeah. right now when I've just got married yeah, this yeah, year. Yeah, so yeah, we yeah. know this yeah. is a lot. It's of, a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It is, yeah. it is, absolutely. And people think it's not a lot, but it is actually a lot mm. within an hour. And so what would happen? So I was thinking I'd look at them and I'd look at the form and I'd start getting them into the first dress and I'd start asking them questions. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it might so Theological self, yes. you know. Oh yeah. So, um, where are you getting married? What's your colour scheme? What kind of no. dresses have you looked at? Bridal? Would anyone be like? Would anyone be like the colour scheme's white? White on white on white. <laughs> no, because that's wealth, isn't it? I, when I think of like white on white on white, I think of wealth. Well, this is the thing I write about in my article, actually, in my in my paper. The actual aesthetic preferences that brides would mm. make would be in opposition to other tastes. And this is where it's very paramount. Okay. So, Can you give an example? Okay. So so what I've done is bearing in mind that the bridal we seek I worked in was all, you know, high, high end. So wedding dresses ranging between 1,000 to 4,000. Um, and within four categories, so I've classed them within four categories. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, um, the most 
expensive dresses. I've called the, I can't remember what I've called them, <laughs> contemporary dresses, I think. Um, so they're at the £4,000 range, and mm-hmm. those will be the most simple dresses. Mm-hmm. Those will be the dresses that don't actually look like wedding dresses. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say this, I think the bride has the capital already embodied okay. with on within them. Okay. So yep. when they walk down the aisle, everyone knows. Okay. The upper class, you know, okay. they'd usually have two dresses as well. So I would try and sell them two dresses. Oh, like an evening one, yeah, shorter. exactly. So yeah, I would, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so the the very simple dress for the wedding, and then the evening dress. So so this yeah. is what's happened, and so when those brides come in, and they would used to be getting married in a um, French chateau, for Mm. example, Mm. um, all country manor house. Mm. Um, They don't have the time to look at the other dresses. Their their dresses were in one particular corner of the shop Mm. and they knew exactly what they wanted. And if what they wanted wasn't there, then it wasn't there, but it usually was. So they weren't really looking at lace or puffy stuff? No, it it was very simple. So it was either... Very simple dresses that didn't look like a wedding dress. Mm. And I, I say this is because they have their cultural capital embodied within them yeah. already. So everyone knows. They don't need to... They don't need to ex- so, so what I say, basically, is the choice of wedding dress... Tells us a lot about their... Aesthetic preferences and tells a lot about... I think women are subjected to this kind of... Anxiety-reducing, neoliberal, post-feminist yep. discourse of making the right choice, okay. and the, the kind of fear of shame, and this kind of like when they walk down the aisle, and even myself, mm. like I thought, I'm not buying into this whole mm. Mm. whole thing. I'm not. I still have that little pang of anxiety yeah. when I put my photos up on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. You know, that little anxiety, what are people going to judge my dress as? Yeah. And so when a woman walks down the aisle, it's it's so much more than the choice of dress. It's about their class and their status and their class aspiration. And so many sociologists speak about this in terms of um, cultural studies, mm. but how this kind of feeds into everyday practices yeah yeah yeah, about how women are Mm. treated so yeah so you think about the higher end people with that but also if you just so I I had like four categories and as I said like women would choose their wedding dresses often within opposition to Mm. other aesthetic Mm. preferences so often when they when they didn't know what they wanted they knew exactly what they didn't want. Which was possibly loud colours, do you mean? Or like Well quite no. so 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 this is where I find it interesting. So my the salon that I worked in was was still high end high end mm-hmm. boutique. So even what would be considered loud, as you said, was incredibly expensive. Okay. Right? But people would come in and they would refer to these dresses as chaff. Okay. And low As in back. they would say, I don't want the chavy dress. Yeah, I don't want the chavy the dresses. Yeah. I don't want the cheap, trash yeah. 
looking dresses. Yeah. I don't want the dresses, the low low back with that can show off their tramp stamp. Right. That's an old saying. Yeah. <laughs> but that was so and I awesome. guess I guess you know what? That that makes me think that sort of discourse really reminds me of people's preferences in terms of hair and beauty as well exactly it, like the, the language exactly. is very very similar exactly. um it overlaps 100 100 percent and i guess what... it's aesthetic preferences yeah and what this made me think about is in terms of yes i broke the sales record because basically what i'd worked out <laughs> in yeah <laughs> what I'd worked out is basically, okay, when you fill out that form and I look at you and I read you and I know what job you do and everything else, mm-hmm. I'm pretty much going to know what dress is. You want to think that your dress mm-hmm. is individual and this is really everything. <laughs> just, yeah, 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 yeah. As yeah. someone who's also just got married this year. Yeah. But, yeah, you want to think your choice is individual. Mm-hmm. But, you know... I let you pick out your dresses and then mm-hmm. I say to you at the end of the day, you've picked out these dresses. Mm. I've got a few dresses in mind. Let me bring these out to you. Okay. And, and I bought them out within what I deem to be their aesthetic preferences. Yeah. And I would bring out the most high-selling dresses within their aesthetic preferences. Mm. And then they would say to me, oh, I didn't see that dress. How did I miss that dress? But I don't think I top selling <laughs> bridal. <laughs> that. But Jenny, I do think I think I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree with you with this aesthetic, the aesthetic preference, and you've been able to figure this out. But I also think you're very intuitive in general. Like I do think that because I'm a sociologist. Okay, yeah, that's true. And yeah. and I'll tell you, they said to me in the salon, uh, not the salon, the the boutique. They were like. Oh, Jenny, how are you doing this? You've broken our... No, 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 no. You've broken our... Because I'm a sociologist. You've broken our (laughs) sales records. Can you come in and train people? And I was like, unless they're going to do a three-year sociology degree, I don't know how this is going to (laughs) happen. I honestly don't know. This is is why I've done it. And it really is that simple. I've got a sociology degree i can sell wedding dresses yeah, because, because i can read your class and this is what happens yeah you're that simple people that, that's really terrible no but i know what you mean i don't the, the listeners will know what you mean as well it's not it's not it's yeah. not i'm not saying it's not, that. Uh, I'm not it's <laughs> at all. the thing yeah. that I, that's fascinating it really really is the thing that i wanted to talk to you about as well um which sort of plays into my own experiences of working in um, hairdressers um, for a number of years. Um, And also I worked, so I worked from the age of 13 to 17, I worked in um, hairdressers and barbershops. Well, one barbershop and then the same hairdressers really, Um, but it sort of expanded. Um, And then I worked in um, childcare as well. So I worked in, um, I worked in after school clubs. I was a youth worker. And then I also worked in as a nursery practitioner as well so it was like the same company that owned all basically owned all the nurseries and um after school clubs and then youth work um organizations in in the town that I lived in and basically I wanted to talk to you about that sort of humiliation thing oh, and yeah. I definitely feel like god I can feel my hand shaking it's sort of a bit, yeah, tri- bit triggering it's still triggering because like so I, I spent a lot of time in my adolescence um yeah sort of serving people that mm. I didn't necessarily know 
were treating me in a certain way because of my both race and class credentials. It's so, like, looking back on it now, like, there's just so much to say about it. And I remember some, there's a particular time, and I remember I cried and cried and cried. I was about 14, and I had been working in the salon for, like, about a year now and I really love like I mean this is a whole other I wish we'd got to talk a little bit about the politics of being a sociologist that likes makeup and clothes (laughs) Uh, because that's something that I feel very passionate about because I love makeup and clothes I know you do as well yeah so I've all I've been like that for as for as long as I can remember and that's because I had a very gendered upbringing as in like femininity is very big in my yeah very very big in my family um yeah so when I would go to work um at the hairdressers, I would basically effectively dress up. I always mm. dressed up. Everyone was always like, Chantel's so immaculate, like, you dress yeah, so well. Yeah, but that yeah. was, I was wearing, like, full-face makeup <laughs> yeah. from a very young age. Yeah. Anyway, I remember this woman, like, white middle-class woman. I, I used to wash hair and, like, dry hair as well. And she basically asked to not be, have me um, wash her hair because of how I was dressed. And I, it's not like I was yeah. dressed in, like, a mini skirt or anything like that. I would, like, you had, as you know, you often have to wear all black when you're working hairdressers so I had like I'd wear like a tight sort of like um long sleeve top tiny bit of cleavage black trousers and whatever and shoes and she asked not be she asked to not be hair washed no yeah it was hair washed I think by me um and didn't want me near her and as I've as I um went on to adolescence in my early 20s and worked in hospitality as well I had I've had plenty of um middle to upper class people asked to not be served by me so it's something that I got used to but I remember the first time that happened in that environment and I just wanted I thought I was going to be sick I've just cried and cried and cried that sort of humiliation like what was wrong with me like what was it about me and it wasn't the owner of the salon who was a very good friend of mine who had looked after me for such a long time she is working class in the salon and it's just so interesting how like I don't know, those dynamics pay out and how they sort of stay with you. And it is oh, only in the absolutely. last few years that I've sort of started thinking about those things. And mm. it definitely, like, on a similar note, like, when I was looking after people's babies as well, um, I had been trained to look... Mm. I didn't do... Um, any of the NQT stuff, but I had a lot of work experience. I'd been trained yeah. to look after babies, like, very young newborn babies. And mothers were very some mothers were really really hostile towards me didn't want me looking after their toddlers or babies um or would look and talk to the other nursery nurses about me um whether I was appropriate and I think there's age that comes into that as well to be fair on them but I do think there was there was more to it than that absolutely and I think like I could never go into the type of yeah. race dynamic yeah, 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 yeah. that might have been happening yeah, 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 yeah. in those interactions. Because yeah. I'm, a, I'm a, a white person, yeah. but I'm also a white working class person. Yeah. And I do recognise what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I yeah, have no, had those experiences. Of course, of course. We were talking about this before we yeah, came yeah, on, weren't yeah. we? Like, even though, like, if you're if you happen to, if you're working class and also happen to be white, just like the yeah. working class community are multiracial, multiethnic, yeah. all this sort of thing. If you happen to be white, that means that you are afforded privileges into some exactly. into some spaces. However, exactly. however, it's not long before you're found out yeah. effectively. <laughs> Yeah. And they work out that actually oh, yeah. you un- you will not be afforded the same yeah. Um, treatment. So yeah, I completely you would I, I can I, I know you 100 percent understand what I'm saying. No, and like when I worked in the salon, it's like I I can 
I can name a hundred experiences yeah. in I line think I've with what some you, of them. Yeah. yeah, you you do, yeah. and I I come like I put on. I was thinking someone someone threw their knickers at me at one point oh in one side. <laughs> Well, in that, what? that they were late for bikini wax and they just threw their knickers at me. I'd be like, oh, hurry up. Yeah, or, hurry okay, up. Like, yeah. you know, this is unbelievable. But like these these things do happen. And 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 actually when you don't realise at the time because you're a young working class you don't girl. Realize, yeah. And you're naive. Yeah. And you're you know you just want to please people you just want to please people we know what young young people like and you're working and you're scared of your job yeah but yeah some of the things that were said to me like Mm -hmm. and I've had like I had when I was in salons I had like official complaints put against me Mm. and where they put the complaint they hadn't said about my treatment of Mm. them or the actual treatment that I've conducted they'd put about my aesthetic looks apparently I was pale faced you know and I wasn't yeah this is like you know, they kind of shoot themselves so in the foot at that can we point. Call that symbolic violence or just violence? It's symbolic. Yeah, violence. it feels pretty violent to be honest. But it but was, yeah. you know, and then they like, complained about the receptionist chewing gum, and you know, and it was all very class, yeah. class related. Yeah. Really, really was. And some of the really horrific symbolic interactions that would happen within those small spaces. And you think those beauty therapists, right? Yeah. So they're treating people mm. and you're going into a small room, often for hours at a time, treating a person, mm. paying hundreds of pounds a mm. hundreds of pounds, that's fine, right? You know, and basically them feeling that they can say whatever they want. So this is what I'm going to come on. This is what I'm going to come on to, and I feel like we can relate this to other professions as mm. well. So, what is it about that yeah. space, right? So you've got that space, you've got the class dynamics, but you've also got the client, and you've probably heard me on this in episode a few times. There's a sense of entitlement because they've come to relax. They're they're busy in their lives. They've got full time jobs. They've got kids. They have come but to no, our space. But no, have they come to relax? Now, uh, no. So this is what I'm thinking. Have they come to relax? Because can you really relax when you have someone treating you who's doing nothing but accommodating you, right? But you are going to nitpick every single thing is that a sense of relaxation but they, but they or is that it, a symbolic violent okay, reaction so it's, so it's their space to exert their class yeah position. and we know we've all had those moments mm. we've all had those bad days we've all had those really horrific mm. email exchanges twitter mm. exchanges and we've gone to a restaurant yeah and we kind of little bit been off with the waiter or you know yeah you know well, I but try then my best not to we try yeah, not yeah, to yeah. and then we and then we but then we pull back and we're like oh hang on a minute yeah <laughs> let's not take it out yeah, on yeah, this yeah, person yeah, yeah. there's it's nothing to do with them right but where is the sense of is there some people that feel are we fair game so right so i think yeah so basically i i think you're right there is something about that those spaces the wed the wedding shop the beauty salon the hair salon or both that make us fair game the other profession Mm. that i also think comes into that academia yeah i mean we could do a whole episode about academia academia but the other profession is air 
hostesses, air oh, hosts, air yeah. hostesses. The way I see mm. them get treated oh, reminds yeah, me of working in hair salons, like oh, your fair game. Absolutely. And it's almost like because middle to upper class people mm. often have experiences of working in hospitality or waitressing, perhaps that maybe gives them more um, capacity to be empathetic. But actually, how many people have got experiences working in hair salon, beauty salon, bridal shops, air hostesses that go on work. to skilled yeah, very work. skilled work that go on to do stuff that's higher paid? Yeah, I'm sure they are out there but is there as many so that makes that sort of like that connection that the empathetic approach or the the capacity for them to treat the people that are serving them or looking after them with respect is perhaps not as not there there's something about those spaces I think basically absolutely and I think that I think you're right. And I think, and I'll be honest, when I worked in a, a bridal shop, mm. I think I was treated with more respect and I was treated as a beauty therapist working in Highgate mm. or Hampstead. Yeah. Even though I'd had two years training and years of experience. That's what I mean, like hairdressing, beauty work, beauty therapy, it's so highly skilled, yet we just yeah. treat them like shit. And just going on to the things about... And it's a class, it's class... It's yeah, cast laden. It it's is. Like, yeah, really. Definitely cast laden. And the other thing that I was thinking about is how how those spaces are all f- forming into one. So, like, Tony and Guy, like, mm. headmasters, like, Rush and whatever. Everyone's blurring into one now, which yeah. means it's actually, like, the high-end hair salons, beauty salons, are very, very high-end. The mm. middle-class and working-class spaces in terms of getting your hair done, particularly if you're a white woman, not yeah. if you've got black... The black hair is a completely different ball game. We're talking about mainly white hair here. Yeah. The market is saturated now. Yeah. So that means I think there's even less scope for those people to be treated well because people are looking for the lowest price, they're looking for the best service. Yeah. Um, and training and the wages of these people, the training, the training, I think there's lots of opportunities, but it still costs money to get yeah. further training in hair and yeah. beauty. Yeah. But the wages haven't gone up. No, exactly. The wages exactly. haven't got up. No. The only thing that's gone up is the rents. Yeah, and now we know they're not not even paid commission. No. Yeah. Oh, God, Jenny, can we... This is a bit sad. Can we, can we finish on something? Can, <laughs> no, we, finish can on we, something? we finish on something positive? Yes. What, what, what can we oh, I thought you were going to say something. <laughs> um, um, what can we... We could give we could give some people some advice. I guess, like, this whole episode... Oh, no, let's think on. about... Let's end with... Um, how how can your experience within your professions with either I, I guess your professions working before becoming a sociologist or yeah. within studying influence your sociological training? Yes. That's, so the positive things about that. So Chantel, what would you say your experience of um, you know all your service sector work? How has that influenced you within becoming a good sociologist? Means I and know. I think you're a brilliant sociologist. Oh, thank so. you, Jenny. It, I think from a practical level, it means I know how to talk to uh-huh. um, certain demographics. Mm. I mean, I can't talk like on, from a socio-economic point of view. I'm not working class anymore. I'm very, I'm very embedded yeah. in the middle class life. However, that's my ha- a conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, but um, what do I think it taught me? I think from a really sort of sad. Um, perspective and a bit of a grim one 
I didn't realise how sophisticated racism and classism could actually be. I'd only really had experiences of, like, fucking Jack in the playground calling me the N-word and lots of different sort of microaggressions at school and whatever. But so it taught me about the, that that side of things, that someone can refuse to be served by me because they don't see me as um, palatable enough for them. That's a very... Yeah, that's sort of informed my sociological imagination. Um, I think the other thing is... From a more positive point of view, working out that these spaces, like whether it's hospitality, whether it's working in hair and beauty, bridal shops, you meet some amazing people. Exactly. You do meet some amazing people and you hear some amazing stories and you can't underestimate the um, how powerful the conviviality is. I can't imagine what that must have been like in parts of London as well. Yeah. Like it must have been amazing, like experiencing, particularly the people you're working with. Exactly. Because you're more so, likely to be from similar backgrounds. Um, I, I think I've taken a lot of stories and a lot of um, experiences. And also, yeah, I mean, like, I guess the negative stories always get mm. the loudest because they're sometimes the most interesting, aren't they? Yeah, you know, yeah. the people that throw your knickers, the knickers at you. Working the with difficult people. Yeah, it's, yeah. You can't <laughs> underestimate training yourself to be or having experience of working with difficult people yeah. as much as it's very traumatising at the time very upsetting <laughs> I think could be ex- excellent life lessons yep. I think you can definitely get those in <laughs> yeah, hospitality yeah, yeah. and beauty yeah. Yeah. Um, so that that was great but also I also like to think that it gave me an ability to speak to people mm. within different backgrounds mm. different situations mm. Within very quite personal spaces as well. Within yeah, intimate I mean, treatment. We haven't even we haven't even gone oh. on to how like how our beauty therapists and our hairdressers are our like second counselors or primary well, no, counselors. We, I was our told, therapists. I yeah. was t- I was told when I did my beauty therapy that we're like priests, you know. Yes. What piece someone tells you, that's it. It's confessional. You yes. don't ever repeat that. Some of the things I tell my hairdresser, <laughs> boy, like honestly. It's absolutely tell, top secret. It is. You know. But I also think it it did inform me. It did inform me in terms of, um, obviously, I enjoyed meeting a variety of people, and I did meet a variety of people, but also in terms of inequality, yes, um, in terms of gender, mm-hmm. you know, and so much more. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I definitely think the more life experience a sociologist can bring into... The so- yeah. So the academy, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Definitely. Oh, Jenny, that was brilliant. I really enjoyed that. Thank um, you. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, you've been listening to Surviving Society's Alternative to Women's Hour with Chantel and Dr. Jenny. Thank you. Dr. Jenny. Dr. Jenny T. Dr. JT. <laughs> If you are able to, we completely understand if you if you are not, please do consider joining our Patreon community. All money that you give to us goes towards keeping the podcast going. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Don't forget also to subscribe and rate if you are new to the podcast as well. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Surviving Society with Chantal and Tiso. Please like rate and subscribe you can also find more of us on twitter and instagram